Blog Talk Radio.
followed by a discussion of the theme, which is today part two. We have the power we rule. And like always, the way we get started with our party is to introduce you to our political analysts and panelists for today. At this time, we'd like to bring in Brother Anthony. We'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move. Oh, revolutionary greetings, Brother uh, Africa. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, and also revolutionary greetings to the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Evan. Following Brother Evan, we now bring in Brother Haki. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamasi Mashoki, Colonel with African Awareness, and I'm all about institution building. So I encourage people within the sound of my voice to get about the business of trying to build institutions, you know, uh, in our communities because it's particularly important given so many fundamental changes that are taking place in society, changes that are not uh, doesn't bode well for society. So we got to get busy with the uh, the, um, the the focus on building institutions. And Brother Africa, I want to thank you for having me. Thank you, Brother Aki. Next, we'll bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the move. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years in 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the often finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you again for allowing me to be on the show. Okay, Father and Brother Moses, we have Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, welcome to Africa on the Move. Brother Jabari. Can you hear us? <clears throat> yes, this is Jabari, resident researcher. Looking forward to another program. Always a privilege and honor to participate with a panel of this nature. Peace, of, peace to the li- listening audience. And next we bring in our sister Hattie. Sister Hattie, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, Brother Africa, and it is a pleasure to be here again to sift through some of the muck and the mire and to step up our education a little bit more. So, uh, yes, I am Sister Hattie, and I am developing a nonprofit organization, Women United, and what we are doing is empowering and supporting women wherever we can, however we can, and from wherever they are. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Hattie. Panelists. We'll start with you, Brother Anthony. Lead us off on what's going on in your world in the community. I was stupid, boy. I can't be doing that. Okay, Brother Anthony, can you start us yes, off okay. on your community? Yes, yeah, certainly. Your um, sure. Uh, let's see. Um, um, uh, let's see. Um, the Trump administration is intensifying efforts. Uh, to build the wall along the U.S.-Mexican border. 
And uh, there is an indication uh, based from analysts that it could have serious economic implications for the U.S., uh, considering, you know, the, the question of how to, how to pay for it is somewhat up in the air. Okay. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father Brother Anthony, Brother Haki, we now bring in what's going on in your world and the community. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if we think back a bit to the uh, crisis in the Michigan with the water, uh, remember, um, they switched the water systems to ensure that uh, that water that was containing all carcinogens was flowing through the Flint water system, and as a consequence, uh, people contracted all kinds of diseases. As a con- as a consequence of people catching diseases, the uh, these state the state courts in Flint, Michigan, decided to charge Dr. Eden Wells, the state medical director, with manslaughter based on the fact that 12 people died and 87 people were sick from Legionnaire's disease. And the charges stem from the fact that she refused to, she refused to alert people about the, 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 the Legionnaire's threat. And the state position is she had an obligation to report that, in fact, Legionnaire was, in fact, the issue. Now, what her lawyers are saying is that, well, they have no statutory right. She has no statutory right to report that she was aware of Legionnaire's disease. Uh, in terms of people's consumption of that water there. It's very, very interesting, but the one of the things that the state did uh, in terms of the terms of this young woman, or this Dr. Wells, is that they created, they arbitrarily created an advisory position, uh, an advisory physician position uh, with the uh, Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, and they plan to pay her over $179,000 a year. And now this is in spite of the fact that she's facing man's manslaughter charges, you know, in, in the state courts. Uh, the mere fact that they could do that, they would be so um, uh, uh, so grandiose that they would actually turn around and to provide a job, a job would, would, as a matter of fact, which ensures that she, she's safe. So there's no way the government the governor coming in can fire her because of the status of the particular job that they created. Uh, as a civil servant, there's nothing they can do. So it looks like she has a job even though she's she's you're facing charges of manslaughter. So clearly this kind of maneuvering speaks volumes in terms of just how little uh, the, the leaders, uh, these people in Michigan, uh, value human life. Any time that this woman who's responsible for the safety and, and, wealth, and the welfare uh, of the citizenry, uh, particularly when it comes to you know, consuming, consumption of water, any time she can do, be so... Um, um, Ineffective in terms of being able, you know, uh, to do her job, uh, and then to be rewarded with another job, speaks to just how how um, how much uh, contempt uh, these people have for the ma- for the masses of people, you know, in Flint, Michigan. So, in any event, having said that, is I just thought it was extraordinary that uh, you know that you know perhaps the reason is that perhaps they're uh, they're doing it because there's more to the, to the to, there's more to the story than we we can imagine. Possibly, uh, it, 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 uh, this story will incorporate lots and lots of people, you know, in the state bureaucracy, and so as a, as a sort of a tactic to a sort of short short circuit, uh, you know, the possibility, you know, of her being convicted and actually exposing information that they would actually create a job for her, pay her a reasonable salary to ensure that she have adequate representation to ensure that she beat these charges, which means that the information that possibly they're concealing 
would never come out. So uh, anyway, so we had to watch this case very, very carefully, and uh, you know, and uh, it'd be interesting to see how it plays itself out. Thank you, Brother Ike. We're going to Brother Moses and then Brother Bobby. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Yeah, well, speaking of lawsuits, uh, there's uh, been a litigation against Johnson and Johnson. I don't know if people are aware, but uh, they had they make uh, powder, uh, baby powder, and uh, lots of people use it uh, for uh, their arms, etc. And anyway, uh, it turns out that it has a has a best dose in it, and uh, uh, there's been a suit. And there was one uh, by about 20 women, I believe it was, that uh, for four, over $4 billion, they won the suit. And uh, Johnson & Johnson saying that for the last 15 years, they haven't been having traces of it within this powder. But uh, before that, there was traces, and they knew about it, and they failed to disclose it. And so that's one thing going on. Also, we're the DC coalition for the, for the defense of the Cuban Revolution is planning a, a 50th anniversary celebration of the Cuban Revolution on January 17th. It'll probably be at Howard University. It's still negotiating the the, uh, the uh, various uh, particulars of the situation, but people who are in the DC area Not too long ago, we had a discussion on how there was a ruling that set forth a precedent in um, a certain locale in regards to how, um, in regards to a Freedom of Information Act request. Well, that was in Virginia, and recently there's been another FOIA request that's an issue in regards to a um, project that the mayor is proposing in regards to building the new entertainment complex to replace the current Richmond Coliseum. Now, for some reason, in regards to what those details are, the mayor is refusing at the moment to do it. So there was information, Freedom of Information Act request put out that he would be able to disclose information. Now, while that is particularly troubling in regards to what the mayor wants to do, it's because in Virginia, unfortunately, when it comes to big business, there are a number of dealings that are done oftentimes in the dark, and the impact that it has on the general populace is clearly seen in terms of things like escalation of taxes and other different fees that are used to fund the project that many of them don't benefit from. So hopefully we will get a resolution where the mayor will disclose the plan and we can see what the impact will be for the citizens of Richmond. Well, we can bet you one thing. Wherever the money goes, it's not going to be little businesses having access to the money. It's going to be the same old boys who've been getting the money all along. We can just about guarantee that. Thank you, Javari. Next question, Sister Hattie. Sister Hattie, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, we have our campaign going on with Black Women Wisdom, 90 years old and up. We're still uh, pounding and working on that, uh, as well as uh, starting up creating an infrastructure to have what we call uh, world 
exchange students, and particularly from the African countries, that's the ones, those are the ones that we want um, to work with and create something um, nationally for people, for those individuals to be supported um, and uh, come here. So anyone who's stable and has their own um, uh, space of living and have a, a spare room where a person can come and, and stay with them to complete an associate's degree or a uh, bachelor's degree. Uh, that's what we're extending an olive branch out for now and uh, all over the country, United States of America, as well as um, high school students, maybe in their last year or so of high school. So... We're we're into discussions around how to do that and how to make that happen as well as we move into this next um, era of relationships with our African brothers and sisters on the continent. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Haley. Fellas, I just would like to get your reaction to a couple of things I've been thinking about um, during this week and uh, just get your response to it. The first thing is that I was... Uh, was um, someone shared with me a incident that recently took place out of, I believe, in the state of Maryland, where a female broadcaster went to have laser surgery to correct her eyes. And as a result of having the surgery, one day she woke up and she went completely blind. And as a result of going blind, she ended up committing suicide. And one of the things that came out from this, uh, this particular incident is that the doctor who discovered this, this, this method of using laser to correct your eyes, he said he would never use it for his eyes. What do y'all make of that kind of response and that, and that, and the results will happen to her going blind using these, um, this method of using uh, the laser? And I'm saying this in reference to there seem to be a lot more cases going on in the medical field where people is taking medicines and the medicines causing more harm and more damage than what you did then the actual damage that you had previous before taking the medicine. So what y'all make of this? Brother Hackey, your response first? Yeah, well, I don't think the medical scientist is immune from Papa Ten. Uh you know, uh, just like other organizations and uh um, corporations. It's always been about the bottom line. And, and unfortunately, you know, as long as we have that mindset where it's all about profitability, it's all about the bottom line, they can anticipate that people are going to take shortcuts to get uh, the profit at whatever means they can. So I'm not surprised at all, you know, that people innovate or come up with these ideas and, 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 and despite their best intentions. A lot of times the stuff is not well-researched, is, 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 is not studied, and it's therefore it's thrust upon the community, uh, you know, um, as though, you know, um, you know, community beware, you know, so if you decide to utilize these products and something happened to you, where it's on you. It reminds me of these commercials that you often see on television when they talk about the fact that uh, if you take a medicine, potentially you could lose a kidney and lose a heart, or you'd end up uh, with brain tumors or blah, 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 and you, and you say to yourself, well, conceivably, if it can do all that to you, then why the hell are you selling it? Well, the uh, the right wing has been pretty effective in terms of eliminating the Federal Drug Administration in terms of the desire to test products, you know, for their efficacy and their safety. And so as a consequence, this focus has become all about profit, profitability. And so, therefore, 
you know, when you, you a lot of the times you, you you take these medications, you take these procedures, you do so at your own risk. Because the bottom line is that uh, it's not like it used to be where the FDA was involved and stuff was actually studied and researched, and uh, so you know what the ins and outs of different product were. But now it's a different ball game. It's all about profit profitability, and so therefore, you know, you simply take your you take your chances when you when you engage in these technologies. So, unfortunately, but that's just the way it is. Yes, um, serious concern because uh, it seems as if, um, you know, this situation could exploit uh, people that aren't aren't, uh, highly educated enough to do the research in terms of weighing, um, you know, the the potential side effects against the benefit of the medication or surgical procedure they're taking. And uh, let's see, a very unscrupulous uh, uh, company or entity could promote all the positive benefits, but say, but a very uh, vague about the possible side effects and health risks that would, uh, that would, that might uh, make you make a person take a second thought about whether, they will want to use that procedure or medication. But unfortunately, there are a lot of people that are not sufficiently scientific savvy enough uh, to sift through uh, the disclaimers that, 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 you know, that are put out about some of these uh, procedures. Brother Zabawi, your response. Given that the doctor made the statement that he didn't trust this particular procedure shows that there needs to be a shift in the paradigm of how medical care is rendered in terms of a Western context. Because for countries that um, operate off of Western ideology, we often see that medicine is now a matter of what Dr. Sebi was advocating is saying what will heal the people, will help the people, but it's about what they can do to make money. Because you often hear about these procedures that they say can cure certain ailments, but you notice every time one of them introduced in terms of the price, even with insurance or without insurance, the price to render this particular um, treatment um, continues to escalate. So that's one of the questions you have to ask. Why is there a correlation in terms of new experimental procedures being increased and then in terms of medical costs being increased, but yet they're not trying to find ways to make sure that people have what they need to be productive citizens. Brother Moses, when the doctor when the doctor who created the technique of using a laser corrective eye vision, when he made a statement that he would never use it for himself or on himself, at the consequence of a young lady who just recently went blind and she ended up committing suicide as a result of it. What you make of that? Well, this is, uh, this is you know, something to be noted. Um, I mean, the doctor himself was saying he wouldn't, he wouldn't take the treatment. I mean, I mean that's saying something right there. Uh, um, I noticed that there, on television, there's all these ads for these different medicines and then they run these disclaimers that show that, you know, like the, the cure is worse than the disease or something. I, mean, uh, uh, I 
know uh, I know that people are making money and uh and that you know it takes a it takes a whole lot of uh research and and uh and uh scrutiny to really know what's best in these situations and uh, I, you know, I don't I don't know that the average person is qualified to to uh to know and uh, and in this case, when the doctor was saying he wouldn't do it, I mean, then then we really, really have a problem. Uh, I don't know. I need. I, we need more information in this area. I think. Thank you. Yeah, Sister Hattie, your response to this situation. Can you hear us, Sister Hattie? Oh, sorry, I was talking and I was on mute, sorry. Uh, given given the, um, when it comes to black women in particular, and given the historic precedence of experimentation on us, uh, one really has to exercise a lot of caution. And as the brother said, a lot of research when one goes on any type of uh, surgery on these medical systems and, and that sort of thing. One has to really, really do that because uh, anytime the black woman shows up anywhere for surgery, you know, it's it's like red flags for experiment, experiment, experiment. I mean, that's how much most of us should trust this system. You know, you take a person like a Kanye West mother who went in for a surgery uh two at one time and no one alerted her then she goes home and bleeds to death no one alerts her of the the kind of uh, seriousness that could entail is just so far out I mean common sense should tell anybody that and with the money that she had you know access to you know even hiring a private nurse or something over the next couple of weeks or whatever should have been first and foremost in her mind if, in fact, they would not allow her to stay in the hospital to be monitored over a few days. It's it's just mind-blowing to me. And so I just say that, you know, we're suspicious. We should be suspicious anytime we go under any kind of um, – surgeries because we're the ones that's been experimented on most uh, uh, most often so any woman showing up should be really <laughs> suspicious for surgeries and, and, and I shouldn't probably say this but I'll tell you just stay away from them as much as you can in the medical community with what's happened to us I mean, even simple things like birth control the implants, um, very simple things. Supposedly, uh, those were those were pumped out in the in the black community like crazy to these young teenage African American girls. That's who got them, and that's who had, you know, these problems and uh, sterilization from it. All kinds of health issues behind it, and so we know that we're always in a very particular spot and. And, and the natural care doctors like Dr. Sabi was and people in those avenues are the places that we really ought to be seeking first and foremost, 
Now, I realize sometimes there are things that happen that are far more um, uh, serious and need a certain kind of traditional medicine. I'm not saying don't get it, but let me tell you, it just seems to me we should be trying natural rounds to have the uh, body heal itself and try to understand that. So thank you. Thank you, Sister Harry. You know, panelists, we're living it during a time period where when you're talking about research, we know your major research, most of it has been funded and been controlled and been dictated either by large corporations or foundations or the government. And many times those who fund the research, they use information to uh, try to have its outcome to benefit what they want it to be, not necessarily based upon the objective, the research itself. Said all that, it's hard to really find out the truth of things because of that. This question of research many times is, 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 is being canal and being maneuvered in a way that it's not the actual research based upon its objectiveness. You know, it's not what it's supposed to be. It's what people have manipulated information to be. So even when you research this, there's no way really um, ensuring this. Ensuring yourself that what you're reading is really true for accurate, accurate, and we see with all this false information and misinformation, um, you know, people are getting getting let off the hooks so there's no accountability. So, um, hmm, how do we change that kind of climate? So, so in the future, when you do research something, you, you can be fairly uh, confident that what you're reading is true. You know, um, Brother Africa. I was just about to say I have a similar viewpoint because one of the glaring contradictions that I continue to see is that you have high-profile people like this doctor that created this technology that said that he wouldn't have it done on himself. And this parallels with what Steve Jobs said in a big speech before he passed away with the iPhone. He said the technology was so dangerous nobody in his family would ever be able to access it. But yet it's okay for him to have millions sold to make sure that he makes a profit. So it's okay for the people to create dangerous technology and profit from it, but yet you don't hear outcry when the people have um, faced the negative impacts of the technology running rampant and being so accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would uh, give another example. Um, uh, the climate change phenomenon. Now, uh, for, uh, some 40 years ago, ExxonMobil had a scientist study, uh, you know, do a study of the impact of all the, um, you know, petroleum a- 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 extraction that was going on. And still goes on to this day, as a matter of fact. But uh, they, uh, but the, their scientists were coming out that 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 the fact that uh, that would have an adverse effect on the Earth's uh, climate and environment, and uh, Exxon Mobil went, uh, you know, uh, you know, through, uh, uh, you know, s- suppressed a lot of that information, and denied, uh, you know, the uh, the phenomena of climate change. When it uh, really became uh, more apparent in, la- in later years that 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 indeed what w- was happening, and uh, let's see, the Earth has uh, various parts of the Earth has have been experiencing, 
extremes and uh and temperature over uh over the past few years and uh i read a study indicating that uh that 17 of the warmest years uh recorded uh in us history took place uh during the uh during the 21st century so uh so uh you know uh you know there there are a lot of uh political forces and leadership positions that deny climate change but um but 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 it, but it seems to be real upon uh you know just observing uh the extremes that are taking place in various areas of the earth even in, uh even within uh you know uh this empire here Okay. I just thought that was an interesting. Well, uh, yes, go ahead, Brother Hackey. Well, well, yeah, well, the whole the, the point is this. If your research dollars are predicated on telling the people who are uh, the sponsor of that research what you want to hear, then you know what? You tell them what they want to hear. Uh, often, and you talk about in the, in the context of a lab, uh, the conditions uh, in which they work under are necessarily conducive. Uh, or, or reflective of the uh, real life conditions, you know, outside that lab. But based upon you know the research conducted in that lab, then it might reach, might in fact reach all the mile uh, mile markers that you intend to reach in order to prove its efficacy or, or just how effective it is. But it doesn't necessarily mean that when it's when it's in, in, in put in a real life context that it, that it's going to actually uh, work the way it was designed to work. So the problem is that it comes down to again it comes down to money. And this is this is something the problem that I think we have and I think at some point the people in society had to come to grasp with this, this notion in terms of you know, the pursuit of you know, the pursuit of money at all falls. So it, even if in, in one thing for Africa, even if you had access to the actual report itself in terms of what they're trying to prove in terms of research, unless you're unless you're a scientist, a lot of times you won't understand clearly exactly what they're saying. You may have some income in terms of what they're saying. But you not you may not understand what's the kind of specificity in terms of precisely what they're saying, and this is the problem. Even scientists disagree in terms of you know um, um, scientific phenomenon, so it's very difficult to ask somebody you know who's not a scientist to in, to incorporate to understand uh, your lingo, uh, which is which is designed for scientists to understand. Given the fact that even scientists themselves don't often don't agree in terms of theory, uh, uh, in terms of you know um, you know of um, you know how things go. So this is the fundamental problem that we have. It comes down to the question in terms of money, and this is the problem that I think is very difficult for society to grasp. I think we're inculcated with this mindset in the context of a capitalist society, in which you know it doesn't matter. As long as the ends justify the means, and everything is okay. As long as you're making money, it doesn't matter what you do. As long as you make money, and as long as we have that mindset, then we can still anticipate, you know, the innovation of all kinds of things that are not for the, not in the interest of humanity, but nonetheless get innovated anyway. So I think that's the fundamental problem that we that we're confronted with, and what we can do in terms of resolving that issue, I'm not sure because the the, the issue itself lies in the roots in terms of tenets of capitalism. It's how people are trained to think. It's how they see the world. And so, as long as you got that, then people want to play that game because the name of the game is the pursuit of materialism, or pursuit of, of dollars. And so, as long as they, so long as people think like that, 
and got, if, if some corporation put a study, uh, put some some study before them and say, okay, I want you to, I want you to perform, uh, I want you to innovate this particular product for me, uh, and hope that uh, you know we can, okay, quote unquote, we can cure whatever. Well, if I don't give them what they want, then there's no possibility that that money is going to continue. So I got to give them what they want in order to keep that money coming, and that is a fundamental problem, brother Africa. I'm not sure what you can do to remedy that. I think by and large, the reality is that society simply has come to grasp with the fact that the dark side in terms of the capitalist economy uh, is ultimately going to lead to the destruction of a lots and lots of people. But I think people themselves have to come to that realization. Well, well, man. Another thing. Good, Jabari. Going in line with what Brother Haki was saying. <clears throat> Some people have the naive expectation that they can go to Congress in regards to looking for legislation or enforcement of these type of entities. But the problem is when you look at the kind of profits that these dangerous technologies make, they make sure to keep politicians in their pocket because it's as simple as, I want you to pay this legislation, so I'm going to give you funding to your campaign or funding to a cause that you're a part of as long as you scratch my back, I scratch yours. So that's the thing, because of the cash flow, unfortunately, in capitalism, there are ways that the corrupt people make sure they look out for each other, especially when it comes to things like this, because especially with the administration we have now, they already told you they're not pro-regulation of any kind. They want to basically deregulate and just let things play out the way they go. Excellent point, Jabari, excellent point. Okay, let's move on to... There are two statements from two African revolutionaries. I will read some articles, and they may bring across two interesting statements. And I think these statements could be something that maybe one could use as a qualifier to try to figure out who is or isn't a leader or how to judge a people or a person who's in a position of leadership and if they have their best interests at heart. And I'd like to get each one of y'all respond to these two statements. I found it really interesting. The first one is from Malcolm X. He's once stated that, I have always felt that the black leader whom white men consider to be responsible is inadvertently the black leader who never get any results. Panelists, any truth to that? Can that be used as a measuring stick as we begin to analyze and look at so-called Leadership or misleadership within the African community and movements? I think that's accurate. Um, I think if you look at the history, our history, uh, let's see, uh, those Af- uh, those Africans who tend to get, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of praise from Europeans tend not to be uh, 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 tend to be ineffective at serving the interests of the masses of uh, Africans in, in you know in our community. And uh, you look at uh, you know a, a, a majority of uh, elected or appointed officials as example, uh, not all, but those who tended to try, uh, to be uh, to, to generally represent the interests of the African masses were eventually removed uh, from power uh, by various means, either uh, either through the loss of their office or by imprisonment. 
let's see. Uh, let's see. Three examples come to mind: uh, Adam Clayton Powell Jr., Cynthia McKinney, and uh, Charles Diggs. Uh, but uh, I, I will say that generally that statement is accurate. So, so Adam, what you think of this? I agree Next with um, the statement expressed by Malcolm. And to give an example, in Virginia, the current mayor, if you look at his political history, his mentor is someone that was a close friend of the Clinton machine. So the fact that his mentor was someone who was a close friend of the Clinton machine, it is evident that even though he's a person of color in a leadership position in what is barely right now mostly black city, he's only a figurehead when you look at those interests that he serves because of who developed them. So that's the thing going on with what Brother Anthony said. So you got to understand in terms of looking at the education background of a lot of these leaders. When you look at some of the European institutions that they um, were indoctrinated from, it explains a lot in regards to why they do those things that are not in our interest. Mm-hmm. Sister Hannah, Brother Moses, when Malcolm stated that, <clears throat> I have always felt that the black leader whom white men consider to be responsible is invariably the black leader who never get any results. And the truth to that statement is that's a criteria we can use to, to analyze our leaders or so-called leaders or misleaders. Brother Moses? Yeah, I think there's truth to that statement in general. Uh, um, we find that, you know, it's a process of Neocolonialism, uh, um, basically, you know, uh, selling out the interests of, of the masses of black people and, and, and taking up European values. And, uh, you know, they're, and so, you know, they're perpetuated by the Europeans and uh, they're applauded by the Europeans. You know, they, they're doing a good job in their, in their eyes. And so, you know, it's just been a black people. about it, that's, that's why they are held in high esteem, so that nothing gets done and things stay the same. Your response, Brother Haki, if any. Yeah, well, you know, um, of course, uh, when the white leadership talks about a responsible African or a responsible black person, they're talking about essentially someone who doesn't like the boat, uh, someone who's comfortable with the status quo. And as such, when you talk about these, these, these black leaders in the community, you know, who are comfortable with the status quo, you can't realistically expect them to do anything that's going to empower the masses of people because their priority is not in terms of empowering the masses of, masses of people. Their priority is recognition of status it gets from, this, from, the, from the status quo 
by actually by actually participating in this game. So, uh, and the one thing I also think, brother brother Africa, is one of the things we have to understand is that you know when we talk about you know the white leadership in the society, there seems to be this visual visual um, visual um, um, understanding visual understanding in terms of you know uh, what is in the interest of of, of of white society, and so therefore they instinctively look for those kind of those kind of attributes for, better, for lack of a better term. That are that are conducive to you know, perpetuating you know uh, you know uh, the white white the white individual's perception of the way society should be organized. Uh, one of the things that when we, when we talk about the chest, chest articulation, uh, uh, oftentimes white leaders are more comfortable uh, if if you express an idea, express an idea which doesn't in any way condemn or, or serve to. Uh, 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 those tend to um, actually underscore uh, what the um, uh, uh, what the real problems are. Because once you start talking about what the real problems are, then inevitably, then what happens is you offend the sensibilities of the white leadership because they understand the reality is that they are a part and parcel responsible for all this chaos, all this insanity, all the injustice, all the racism that exists. And so, therefore, any time you articulate that, then it simply it simply becomes very difficult for for white folks to swallow. So I think that those Africans, or those black folks who can articulate an issue which doesn't offend, offend the sensibilities of white folks, are more likely to be perceived as responsible. Because in other words, what they're saying is that you can you can you know you can we can talk to us and we can talk about the problems of the world, but not so deeply, you know, that you force you compel me to actually look at the situation and what role I play as a white human as a white person in terms of facilitating all these injustices that permeate the world. So I think that, yes, uh, there, there's always been that. Uh, you, so we talked about Malcolm. Uh, you know, all the reason they gave Malcolm any visibility was the fact that during that time, tech, the television, the cameras were new technology. And so they, that's why he got the visibility. Today, Malcolm wouldn't get the kind of visibility simply because, you know, he, because of what he stands for. As opposed to someone like Malcolm, they elevate someone like uh, uh, Al Sharpton, uh, someone like... Um, um, what's this lawyer in uh, Florida who travel um, who travels around the country yeah, uh, advocating supposedly Trump? Yes, Trump. Yes. But, so yes, it's those kind of people that get elevated because they're respectable black folks. They're not going to rock the status quo, and for them, it's about what, how much how much of the cake can they get, and their their focus is you know uh, you know obtaining as much wealth as they possibly can. It's not in terms of empowering the wealth masses of the people. So, of course, as far as white folks are concerned, they're respectable because they're not going to do anything to shake the status quo, and that's precisely what they want. So, yes, that whole that whole uh, dynamic in terms of, uh, you know, what is a respectable black person versus, versus uh, revolutionary black black folks, very much a di- uh, dichotomy that always exists in the minds of the white leadership because they're on a constant lookout for those respectable black folks you know, uh, who, in, who, who, who who wouldn't dare take a position in terms of articulating the needs and aspirations of the people or to broadly indict this very racist and, 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 and criminal system. So I think that Malcolm is absolutely correct. And that is, a, that is, that is one of those, uh, um, uh, uh, one of those uh, paradoxes uh, that's, that's going to be with us and the longest capitalism exists. Because I think instinctively white leadership is going to look for those, for those black folks you know who who uh, who they find palatable those white those black folks 
you know, who are easily can be manipulated, those black folks who are optimistic, those black folks who care less about the African community. So I think that Malcolm is absolutely correct. May I pass to Maury Michelle, uh, the revolutionary former president of Mozambique, also stated something similar, and I would like to get each one of y'all response to his statement. He stated that the day you heard the white man speak of me in good terms, that day do not share your secrets with me because that being I would have had betrayed you already. Anthony. I uh I agree with him. Uh let's see, um in light of uh, recent history, I mean I, I I think he's correct. Uh you know that uh you, you, you know that uh, that that if a European and again uh, um you know, it should be uh, clear that we're talking about, uh, you know, ruling cl- uh, the Europeans in the ruling class for the most part. Uh, that, uh, that that if, that if uh, you know an African gains acceptance, that means that he's pro- uh, that 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 he that that, it, that he's pro- probably a sellout. And I think and I think you know the history of um, you know imperialism over the last fifty years. In which neocolonialism has been its dominant form, has proven that to be correct. Sister Hattie, what you make of that statement? The day you hear the white man speak of me in good terms, that day do not share your secrets with me because that means I would have had betrayed you already. Interesting statement. That's very accurate as well. It's about secrets. It's about who do you tell secrets to because black people are going to have an understanding of each other in a different fashion than others. We share that. No matter if there are the ones who are uh, not going to move us around to a moving, uh, helping it to become better for other masses, or whether it's one of those who is a revolutionary. We have a different understanding about each other and, and for each other, and no matter which one it is, that understanding, that certain kind of, um, I guess I would call it relationship, is there where you can do that, that, that kind of, um, it's a, a connection or that kind of unity of thought. However, it doesn't. I'm not saying at all that, these individuals uh, that I just described on either end of the perspective will respect or will uh, uh, do anything, but it is there that there is some uh, connection of unity of understanding. And so that being said, that's why the system always has to have one of us to betray our people are to hold our people back in order to do what they need to do and want to do. So that being said, that's, that's kind of what comes to my mind on that, that 
um, Brother Moses. Thank you, Sathan. Brother Moses, what's your response to this thing? Yeah, I think he's again he's recognizing the 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 um, differences and interests, the antagonistic contradictions between the mass of the people and the the rule of the elite, and their interests are diametrically opposed to each other. And so, when the rule of the elite you know embraces somebody, it's because they they see in them a uh, potential to exploit the masses of the people and the gain. And um, so he's recognizing that, you know, in this this era of neocolonialism, and, um, that the European is is, is dominating and uh, and using African people uh, of color to to perpetuate its ends. Uh, this is uh, rather than direct rule, this is rule through indirectly through a black face. And so, you know, he's recognizing that uh that, you know, this is a this is a problem and uh and uh he sees that in his role as a leader, you know, that people don't like the European and, and elite elite order doesn't like him and uh, just like they don't like Castro, just they they don't like the brothers in Venezuela. Um it's it's, it's it's a, it's a direct reflection of the fact that the mass of the people are in an antagonistic contradiction with the ruling class and that, you know, they're diametrically opposed to each other and their interests are opposed to each other and it's irreconcilable. And so, and so uh, uh, you know, this, this is a reflection of that. Thank you. And Jabari and Haki, did we get Jabari? And then Haki, our response to that statement. Come back to me. Okay, let's go with Haki, then we'll come back to Jabari. Haki? Yeah, well, yeah, I I, I think she's right. Uh, I think she's right. Uh, You know, uh, anyone who's legitimized, you know, by the state, uh, you know, you'll be a fool to take them in your confidence. Uh, because clearly uh, their mindset is not one that's predisposed, uh, you know, to um, to take what you say in confidence. The more likely to take what you say and take it right back to the same people who are your adversary, uh, uh, you know, uh, as a, as a means of um, to sort of sort of reaffirm, uh, you know, uh, you know, just how how responsive they are, you know, as, as a black man or a woman. So I think in that in that in that sense, I think when we talk about this uh, this the slave mentality that exists uh, in folks, I think we I think these these kind of people sort of epitomize that mentality, and I think that she's right. So you know, one of the things I, I often think about is that you know often, you know, if any time these people start selling money to you, or if they start giving you recognition on television or they start publishing your material, or whatever they do. If they start doing that, then that individual you have to watch. I'm, you know, it's unfortunate, but you really have to watch them. It doesn't necessarily preclude that there's anything wrong, but there's strong likelihood, you know, that these individuals are being co-opted. In fact, uh, we have to agree uh, that on some level that uh, they know that they're being co-opted and they're comfortable being co-opted because there's something that the system gives them. And namely, that is recognition status or money. 
So clearly she's absolutely correct. So uh, anybody who's uh, uh, anybody you know who's, who's on the inside uh, who has that visibility, you can be very very careful in terms of what you say to them, what you convey to them. I I, I agree with her wholeheartedly. And before we take our stage to break, I believe we have Tabari left. Tabari? You know, given the propaganda apparatus that we live under on a daily basis, we have to be mindful that at any given moment, anything you say can be used against you in terms of all of a sudden your whole life changed for the worse in an instant. <clears throat> so with that in mind, we have to be careful in our dealings in terms of these particular people we have to be mindful of what is exposed to them so that this last thing isn't used to be our downfall. Okay. Panelist John, well done. We thank you for your feedback to what's going on in your world and the community. Right now, we're going to take a station break. When we come back, we're going to address our theme tonight, which is part two, we have the power we rule. And one of the best examples of that thing that I can think of is this individual that we're going to critique tonight. And this individual is George H.W. Bush, who recently made a transition. There were some real interesting uh, critiques of him and his so-called legacy. But we'd like to um, get y'all to weigh in on this, and we're going to talk a little bit exactly about uh, his transition and this whole question of, we're dealing with this thing. We have the power. We reunite. The article we like to discuss, and we like to have the listen audience join in by calling in at three two three six seven nine zero eight four one. It's the article that was. It actually was a transcript that was written by uh, Ben Norton, uh, dated December tenth, and it titles George H. W. Bush, war criminal, CIA spy. Or tycoon embodiment of U.S. elite. We will have a discussion on that when we come back. You are listening to Africa on the Bull.
to Africa on the mole. We were stolen from Africa and brought to the Americas, fighting upon our ride, but still fighting for our survival. And we'd like to continue now to the second segment of this program. We have the power, we rule. As we stated before we took on our break, um, there's a um, good example, of not only of the theme tonight, but I think he epitomized this particular thing. And we would like to give our critique on the recent transition of George H.W. Bush. And to do this, we're going to discuss some very articles and viewpoints that spoke, which I believe, truth to power. And there's an article that came out December 10, 2018, which is a story transcript from Ben Norton. And he started off with this particular statement which is really interesting from the normal narrative that we've been hearing so far. He started off that President George A.W. Bush was a elitist custodian of capitalism and empire with countless victims from Iraq to Panama. The former oil tycoon and CIA director paid the way for Trumpism. The former United States President George H.W. Bush Died on November the 30th, 2018, while leading Democratic joined the GOP in celebrating the Republican leader as a hero, honoring him in a bipartisan ceremony. The real Bush left behind a murderous legacy full of war crimes across the planet. Now, I've never heard that narrative so far on this major media. Panelists, Brother Anthony, start us off when you read this article, Brother Anthony. How does this um, description of the history of George Bush match up to what the major media you've been saying about him, from your perspective? Uh, it's like night and day. I mean, um, as uh, Ben, as uh, Norton points out, uh, let's see uh, the corporate media lionized Bush a former oil tycoon and director of the CIA as a statement who committed his life to his country. But Bush's patriotism was not rooted in a devotion to the average working-class American people. Instead, he was an elite custodian of capitalism and empire. And uh, from, uh, from Iraq to Panama, George Bush was responsible for countless deaths. And far from being the moderate voice of reason he is now being presented as an heir of Trumpism, Bush paved the way for right-wing extremists to take control of the U.S. empire he so carefully preserved. And, uh, you know, one example of, um, you know, to sum up, uh, you know, Bush's legacy would be that, uh, that uh, the U.S. government shot down an Iranian civilian plane on July 3rd, 1988, killing all 290 passengers on board, including 66 children. The United States adamantly refused to apologize for, for this horrific atrocity. Bush was then vice president under Ronald Reagan and was in the middle of his own campaign for president. At a GOP event just a month later in August, Bush indirectly responded to the U.S. massacre of Iranian civilians with the following infamous words. I will never apologize for the United States of America, ever. I don't care what the facts are. 
so uh, it seems this says a great deal about what uh, uh, about what his politics were. He was interested in pursuing in capitalist imperialist interests, regardless of the cost, and regardless of uh, you know what the truth was. And uh, you know, and um, you know, even though he's uh, he's presented as a as a milder version of uh, Trump, in a way, his career paved the way for the emergence of uh, the current political situation that exists in the United States today. And this article points out that uh, it was under his administration that the war against uh, Panama was launched, which uh, which killed uh, thousands of Africans and ruined uh, and ruined the lives of thousands of uh, 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 of many others, just to uh, you know uh, to overthrow Manuel Noriega, who was an ally of uh, U.S. imperialism for many years. Well, Zubari, what you took from this article? How is the description of the Where history of What I took from this article is that whenever you have any entity that operates under a Western ideology, it never wants to <clears throat> speak for itself in terms to what it did that was the antithesis of humanity. And even though we saw a parade in the form of a propaganda campaign that created a legacy that would made it seem that the Bush family doesn't have a dubious political history. One that has any knowledge of their background is clear to see in terms of the connections and decisions made about what they did that comes under question. Because, for example, it mentioned in regards to Prescott, um, H.W. Bush's dad, he had dealings with certain companies that were known for their ties to the atrocities committed by the Third Reich. So you have to bring that into question. Then you have to bring into question when he was the head of a major oil company and he was using that as a front to cover up clandestine activity he was he was doing on behalf of the chief um, international surveillance agency for the U.S. in terms of CIA. And that was its whole purpose. It was created to be able to spy on people internationally in a quick amount of time. It wasn't done anything in the name of justice. It was all done in the name of empire. So the fact that he went from that position to becoming the president of the United States that shows you there's some dubious things in terms of history when you look at the legacy of the of what an entity like CIA has done then and now. Sister Haley, when you look at this article, one thing I thought really interesting is that, you know, Many times, for every two to four years, elections come around, they only give our people two choices, or illusion of choices, the Democrat or Republican Party. Well, it seemed to me if George Bush were their opposition and so-called even during the time of his administration, how did the Democratic Party fall for the Kool-Aid and join in with the GOP and perceive him as then Everything but what he was. What is your take on that, Sister Hattie? It definitely seemed like they're the same party for them to be able to embrace them so easily and accept something that never existed. 
So anyway, Sister Hattie, what's your take on it? When people, like I said uh, last week, people, people pass, there's always this inclination to clean them up, no matter how dirty and down they've been. Um, uh, people feel like that's that's the right thing to do, and they do it. And in particular when it comes to, I think, any office, such as this presidential suite, that people um, will put for special efforts to do that in a way that they wouldn't sometimes for others just remain quiet or what have you. But uh, the article is is very uh, very good and it it's it's accurate and it really gives you some even more things to think about. It talks about his uh, Prescott Bush and with the skull and bones piece. And we know that you've heard that old saying, we've all said it probably before ourselves, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And so it uh, talks about in 1918 how he um, participated in the skull and bone Raid where they dug up a Native American um, bones and and uh, stole the skull. And I mean, how wretched can a person be? Yeah, you know, Sister Hattie, can I stop like you for a second? I really didn't get yeah. that. What was significant for doing something something of that nature? What was the driving force behind that? I really couldn't figure that one out. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I don't know what skull and bones is, but uh, they like skulls and they like bones, I guess, and it borders on a form of a ritualistic uh, witchcraft kind of process where where they do something with that to create or have a ritual over it and drink blood out of the skull of Geronimo and all that. that that's that kind of thing. Uh, that's a secret society at Yale University, and uh, her, uh, uh, George H. W. Bush's father, Prescott, was a member of that organization. And while he was a member in 1918, him and the fellow members of that uh, secret society dug up Geronimo's grave and stole his skull. And that was around the time of World War One, so that was before George H. W. Bush was born. But his father, Prescott Bush, did that. Yeah, that something about the uh, the the lack of, uh, of of understanding, appreciation of humanity, and lack of respect for other people. Um, it's just you know that's really interesting. But Brother uh, Moses and Haki, now when we talk about a president with an attitude that I would never apologize for the United States of America, even if I didn't care what the facts are, how do you deal with deal with someone with that kind of philosophy, that kind of attitude? Brother Moses and then Brother Haki respond to that. Yeah, this is a basic imperialist philosophy. I mean, like... Uh 
President Kennedy said he's going to bury any costs, bury any, I don't, I don't remember exact words, but it was like, you know, there's no end to what, what, uh, what they will do in order to perpetuate the interests of the United States of America, which is imperialism and, and, and neocolonialism and fascism, ultimately. And so, you know, this is corporate America, and uh, you know, he he's he's showing his un, undying loyalty to the cause, and you know, it's it's, it's in the in the step of his father, you know, uh, you know, trail of broken treaties with the Native Americans, and and his, his lack of uh, of consciousness about. How, how the U.S. has exported this country, and uh, you know they just they you know G W Bush, H W Bush following the track to to uh, Scotland Bones and Yale, and and uh, he he has he has no compassion for humanity. He, he was part of the ruling elite, and he carried out their legacy and. And his, his, his life shows, his life work shows it. And he was consistent, and he, and he, and that sums him up, basically. Thank you. Hello, Brother Hackey, young well. Um, would you like to say a few words, speak to this, Brother Hackey? Yeah, well, I think it's indicative of the kind of entitlement, uh, you know, that kind of hubris is not unnatural for, uh, unusual for people like him. You know, who see themselves as a vanguard in terms of, you know, uh, absolute control of the world. Uh, one of the things that, you know, when we look at the history in terms of Bush, one of the things that's very interesting is that he coined this phrase devolution. And what he was talking about, he was talking about the fact, you know, that in order for the, 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 the status quo to maintain control, then things have to go backwards. Uh, today we talk about uh, the orange minutes talk about make America great again. Well, he had a slightly different spin, but nonetheless, he meant the same thing. Uh, in other words, in order to maintain control, you got to go back and, 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 and keep things from progressing. So he was an architect in terms of that kind of mindset, and that's very, very clear. Uh, one of the things, when we go back to, to Kuwait, one of the things that he did was that he instructed uh, April Glassley, April Glassley, who was an uh, ambassador to Kuwait, to actually steal you know, Iraqi, Iraqi oil. And how they did that? What they were to drill, you know, on an angle, and so they were going to, you know, Iraqi territory stealing oil, which is in fact a a a a a, um, a, a fighting fighting offense. Uh, anytime you steal, you know, from a nation, then that's the that's that that in itself to the a war. And so he knew that, and so the whole thing was to do that was to get the Iraqis to respond to justify U.S. invasion of Iraq. And this whole thing in terms of bombing, you know, um, uh, Iraq, you know, back to pre-industrial ages, uh, that's something, of course, Dick Cheney, you know, talked about. Uh, Bush was very much in favor of in terms of the, the wholesale destruction of Iraq, simply because Iraq had the most scientists, most engineers, most doctors in the Middle East. It was in a very progressive socially and economically. In fact, he had no problem in terms of sharing the wealth with the masses of Iraqi people. And this in itself constitutes a real threat uh, to, to George Bush. And saying in terms of his position is that in order for the U.S. to maintain its hegemony, then, you know, to, to Iraq had to go. 
and that's precisely what he did. So he had no qualms in terms of the kind of destruction that he levered against the Iraq, Iraqi people. And, uh, and as he said, he wouldn't apologize for that. Now, if that's not bad enough, when we talk about this propensity of, of George Bush, one of the things that was the, this concept of the October surprise. The article doesn't mention this, but I think I should mention this because it is important. Uh, one of the things for the October surprise uh, was that Bush, at, at the point, was a CIA director. Uh, and there was a contest between uh, Jimmy Carter and, and, and Reagan for the president of the United States. Well, Bush wanted Reagan to win, but in order for him to win, uh, he had to undermine or sabotage Jimmy Carter's attempt to free 52 U.S. hostages uh, from, from Iran. Uh, so what he did, he was using um, underground channels. He got the word to the Iranian leadership that, listen, hold on to these hostages, and once these hostages, once once the American election is over, uh, you know then you can release the hostages, and in turn we'll make sure we provide you weaponry and weaponry you need. You be able to buy them from the United States. So he was the uh, he was the visionary in terms of innovating that policy. And ultimately, what happened was that today we knew that 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 beginning the arms sales as today is Iran Contra, in which the U.S. you know sold arms you know to uh, Iran, who took the proceeds to to sponsor the, uh, the, the the Sandinistas, I'm sorry, the, uh, the, the, um, the Contras in Nicaragua. Uh, so um, so that's important that we, we understand that, that very, very historical point. Uh, one of the things, so I'm the Secretary uh, of State of Middle East Affairs, Nicholas Valetis. Uh, he talked about the fact that um, this, this relationship between Iran and the U.S. in terms of getting this whole Iran-Contra affair goes back, you know, to the early 80s. And so one of the things that uh, the, the news media did a pretty good job of doing was to sort of discredit, you know, any notion that the U.S. was, in fact, illegally sending arms to Iran. Uh, the former the congressman John Kerry conducted an investigation and found out that money and weapons, in fact, were being exchanged between the U.S. and the countries, and that the U.S., in fact, was complicit in terms of what was going on. As a consequence, the Congress passed the Bolin Amendment to put an end to that kind of relationship. But, of course, the relationship didn't end there because what happens then, um, they created a scenario which the, 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 the Contras will actually sell drugs in the United States to finance the Contras, you know, back in Nicaragua. So clearly George Bush had his hand. He had a, a thorough understanding of what was going on. And even when he appeared before Congress, he was actually bold enough at some, on some occasion to actually say, yes, I'm doing it, and what are you going to do about it? There's nothing you can do about it. But that speaks to a kind of hubris, a kind of uh, entitlement, a kind of notion that, you know, that, you know, listen, I represent the elite of the society. And so, therefore, what I say is kind of amount to the final word. And so, therefore, what I say is not, is not beyond question. You simply carry out my dictates. So I think it's pretty indicative of someone like him. So when he says something like, well, hey, you know, um, I will never apologize to the United States no matter what it does. Well, it's be understandable given his mindset, you know, that he would come from such a position. Panelists in general, is the media also complicit in terms of creating a narrative or misrepresenting the essence of Joy Bush, his work, and his impact on the world today? What role has the major media play in terms of this collusion of creating a version of Joy Bush that never really took place? I think the media does bear responsibility in terms of his impact upon the world. 
and uh you know uh let alone the the US because if you study uh you know world history uh you you'll find that uh that 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 uh that that Bush was guilty of a lot of atrocities both when he was uh both as director of the CIA as well as uh, when he was president of the US but in his view, the U.S. could do no wrong, and that seems to be the attitude of uh, most empires that existed, you know, in world history. And um, you know, and the thing about the and and the media is engaged in a cover-up in terms of suppressing a lot of the information that uh, Ben Norton reveals in this piece about Bush and how he came from, uh, you know, a family of elites. And uh, it, the ties, uh, you know, the Bush ha- family has with uh, fascism uh, internationally and implications it holds for the current situation uh, that the U.S. is in today. You know, panelists, I thought it was real despicable where they took the ambassador of Kuwait, little daughter, and used her to to um, create a story in which you blame the Iraqis for killing little innocent babies and children out of the hospital and use it as a pretext to bomb Iraq. How low will these people go? We know it goes to show that uh, when it comes to maintaining power, there are no limits in terms of, um, you know, the level of exploitation of humanity uh, that the uh, that the that the, the the bourgeoisie will not resort to in order to preserve their power. And uh, it's been shown, if you look at, uh, you know, looking at this uh, uh, history of Bush's political career, that uh, that 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 they have they have little regard for non-European humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think that you know we have to we have to confront some fundamental realities. When we talk about American leadership, we talk about the elite, we have to acknowledge that these people are amoral. And so the problem is that we keep insisting that America is a Judeo-Christian society, and so therefore morals rule. But morals has no place in terms of the, the elite of the society. In fact, a lot of things they do are immoral, uh, but if you ask them, it's justifiable. So when we talk about um, the kind of expediency that exists in the minds of people in control, we have to recognize that because of this kind of the sense of immediacy, you know, uh, the ex- expediency, they can do anything they want to do, and it's all justifiable, then we got to conclude that there's a certain amount of amorality that exists in the mind of these people, and they have no fundamental understanding in terms of what's right or what's wrong. And this is why people have to be very, very concerned, because one of the things, you know, Brother Africa, when I look at the decline of the economy, and I understand the implications of what's going on when we look at the fluctuation of the stock market, uh, we look at the tax cuts, with a, which has a very negative impact on the overall growth of society. And you look at the mass incarceration that continue to they continue to 
to increase. When you look at this, all this suggests that there's a tremendous amount of instability, which means that um, humanity is, is at a crossroads. Well, in terms of crossroads, then normally you would think that about given this reality, that then you would try to create another paradigm, another way of doing things in terms of ensuring, you know, that you minimize any possible any possible uh, conflict, any type of turmoil that's going to result in lots and lots of deaths. Well, if you're amoral, you don't think like that. If you're amoral, you're thinking no problem. If I have to lock up more and more people in concentration camps, internment camps, then that's what I'm going to do. If I have to kill more people, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, you know, if I have to deny more people education and have to shelter or, or whatever, I have to deny them, then that's okay. Because when you think about it, when you tell a person with an amoral mindset, they have no concept in terms of what's right and what's wrong. And this is the fundamental danger that we're confronted with as a people. Because, you know, clearly the signs are there. And increasingly, I think more and more people begin to realize that the, the, the implicit danger in terms of what's going on doesn't bode well for the, for the future of humanity, both in America and outside of America. Uh, but uh, so when we talk about people like George Bush, then we have to talk about their immoral character in terms of why they do what they do. Uh, because there is no shame. There is no uh, hesitation. Uh, there is no uh, a concern in terms of, you know, being perceived as somehow less than human. They have no problem with that. You can call them whatever you want to call them. You call them demonic. You can call them, uh, you can call them um, uh, beastly. You can call them anything you want to call them. They don't care. They don't care. They'll take that and smile. They have no problem with that. Because for them, you know, there's no right or wrong. In order to achieve their objectives, they'll do what they have to do. If that means eliminating a large number of people, then so be it. That means a large number of people will be eliminated. And they will sleep fine. They'll give you more and then start it all over again. So this is the fundamental problem that we're confronted with. And I think that we have to begin to understand that people like George Bush is no hero, that people like him are the quintessential problem that humanity faces. Uh, you know, and we have to begin to recognize it and people like him for what they are. You know, panelists, let's go to the next document. Also, did a critique of the life of George Bush. Uh, Brother Opie Bono Jr. Samurai, he uh, writer for the Herald. He produced an interesting article, a critique on George Bush on December 7, 2018, titled Buried CIA Next to Bush. Now, he stated that uh, because the United States history is synonymous with captivity, genocide, exploited labor, war for profit, rape, and plunder, all funerals have for their former heads of state. By circumstances are nothing more than feeble exercise of damage control. Is this what this propaganda is all about? Damage control in terms of deceiving people about who the real George Bush really was? I would say so. I think so because, uh, you know, because usually. Um, Usually at home-going ceremonies or funerals, you emphasize the positive aspects of the person that's being, you know, commemorated. And so I think, you know, the capitalists use this opportunity to try to suppress uh, people's memory of what uh, Bush's atrocities were during his uh, political career. You know, looking at this 
particular article, one of the um, points that stood out the most to me and the most hypocritical, and I often laugh about it, <coughs> excuse me, panelists, I like to get y'all to respond to it because I think this is something that we are doing. We do it as we do, not as what they do. Well, it states that during Mr. Bush's eulogy, he was credited for living by the following several mantras. Tell the truth. Do your best. Don't blame people. Be strong. Try hard. Forgive. Stay the course. What do y'all take from that? Did he really mm-hmm. live by these, these matrices? Tell the truth. Do your best. Don't blame the people. Be strong. Try hard. Forgive and stay the course. Uh, I would say uh, of those seven mantras, maybe uh, th- uh, three would apply to Bush. Uh, he, he, he definitely stayed the course. He served the interests of capitalism faithfully. Uh, he um, he did his best. He and did he not tell the truth. He tried he very hard. hard as well. Okay, I can buy that. Anybody else would like to respond to this? Will we take our station break and continue on that theme as we move forward? Well, it sounds okay, good. <laughs> sounds like something that should be said. Doesn't mean that that individual um, necessarily practiced that. It, it, it sounds good. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that nothing reactionary dies of its own accord. It has to be toppled. And uh, Bush, you know was able to adapt to uh, whatever the situation, if it, if it called for lies, he presented lies. Of, you know, whatever the situation called for, he would, he would adapt to it. And, you know, he brought out the the, the, um, the ambassador's daughter to, to uh, uh, um, Kuwait, and uh, she lied about the incubators. I mean, uh you know, they're, they're, when the, the situation gets bleak, you just come up with, with a lie. Uh, the sun incorporated with mass uh, mass arms of destruction. You know, there's, there's no end to to what the capitalists will do. You know, if if they are threatened and with the truth, they will just deny it and come up with a lie. And that's and that's continued with Donald Trump and throughout throughout. U.S. history. Thank you. Okay, panel, let's pause for this cause, and when we come back, we will continue this thing. We have the power, we rule, and we could talk about um, this upcoming um, article where it talks about this whole question about imperialist tactics, the things that they have done, and definitely has been put in motion by the agency, one of the agencies, the CIA. We're going to talk about the imperialist tactics, and we'd like to have you weigh in on this whole issue as it relates to imperialist strategy and old tactics. So we're going to talk about that in about two minutes. We'll be right back. You are listening to Africa on the Move. 
Clarendon And if you come from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland You're an African So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality Have got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Trinidad And if you come from Nassau And if you come from Cuba You're an African So don't you where you come from
Well, the problem is that as far as you are concerned, that kind of that kind of philosophy, that notion that you create a just and harmonious world and that people actually trade for the betterment of society and not necessarily for profiteering, is something that doesn't set well with the US. The US more the US concern is that they want to maintain a, a status quo which says, you know, that we want a world was all about, you know, the pursuit, you know, of markets. We want to have absolute control in terms of who gets what and how much they get. Uh we don't want a world once you you trade freely with people. Uh, we want a, a society where we dictate to the world what your resources are worth to us, and uh, we'll make a decision in terms of how much trade would take place. And so this is a fundamental conflict. So it's a, so it's a philosophical conflict, and why Cuba, I mean, why uh, China represents such a threat uh, to the U.S. Uh, and in the superimposed upon that, uh, one of the things that you got to understand that. In terms of the rules of capitalism, um, China did a very good job in terms of beating America by its own rules, and they, they just don't know what to do with themselves. But the whole fact is that they always see themselves as the masters of the universe, and never envisioned that particularly some non-white nation will actually uh, out outdo them in terms of strategy, in terms of you know creating this you know all, you know creating this new paradigm, in which you know uh, our capitalism is on its way out. So I think that's why uh, China represents the fundamental quintessential threat uh, to the West, particularly the United States. In fact, one of the things that they're doing uh, when we talk about proxy wars, one of the things that they do is that in terms of trying to undermine China, one of the things in terms of the large military contingents in Africa is geared toward the undermining of of, uh, of China. So all of those projects that China are doing in terms of investment in Africa to build its infrastructure. The U.S. want to make damn sure that China doesn't get a, a, an increasing amount, increasing amount of leverage in terms of actually being able to carry out those projects, because those kind of projects really lead to the, develop, the development of Africa, which the U.S. doesn't want. The U.S. has wanted a, a underdeveloped uh, Africa, so to ensure that Africa is right for ex, further exploitation. And so that's why China represents a fundamental threat uh, to the United States. And Brother Anthony, how does Russia and Iran play into schemes of things as U.S. perceiving as one of our major um, threats? Okay. Um, well, well, let's well let's see. There's the um, well, let's see. Uh, Russia, um, you know, like the U.S., has nuclear uh, capabilities. And uh, this is, uh, uh, you know, one factor that makes uh, Russia, uh, you know, an enemy of China and Iran, uh, because it, uh, you know, it pursues its own uh, path of development, and uh, and uh, you know, and refuses to, uh, you know, to uh, be dominated by U.S. imperialism. And there are several countries in Central and South America, particularly in uh, and the Caribbean, uh, such as Cuba, Venezuela, and Bolivia, that are also uh, that are also trying to pursue an independent path of development, uh, specifically socialism. And uh, this has drawn the ire of the U.S. Uh, ruling class, and that's why they're targeted. And uh, and uh, Africom is all over Africa tonight uh, to ensure that uh, that 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 the U.S. bourgeoisie 
maintains control over Africa's resources. And, uh, you know, and I think that is why there's such a heavy military presence in Africa and Asia as of this moment. And also there's the use of uh, the economic stagnation inside the U.S. uh, to recruit the labor to serve that military. Sister Hattie, one of the things they talk about is the continuation of propaganda lies. Now, when you read this article, what were some of the contradictions that you saw in this article versus what you hear on a daily basis on the media from your perspective? They make you think Iran is bad, Russia is bad, they're fighting against the people. I mean, they create all these scenarios, but they don't tell you the real motive. So as you read this article and what you hear, what you take from it? Uh-huh. And while I'm waiting for Sister Hattie, Brother Moses, you can respond as well. I'm not hearing you, Brother Lee. I'm not hearing you, what you're saying very oh, well. Uh-huh. As you read this article, one of the things it talk about the consistent propaganda, the consistent lies that they are making up on countries like Iran, Russia, etc. I'm saying, based upon you reading this article, what do you take from this article based upon what you hear on your um, daily news in terms of why, how, and what reason the U.S. are doing what they're doing against these countries? How does this article differ from what you hear on a daily basis? From your perspective, well, I think it's it's always like that that they're going to spin the way they want it to be spun, which means that it's usually packaged and unpackaged with, um, you know, the propaganda that will have the average American saying, "Oh yeah, the Americans did what was right," and people buy into that. And so what you hear is uh, one thing, but what the reality is, is usually something else. Brother Moses, your take from this article? Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're up to their usual taxes of, of creating proxy rules, proxy rules uh, using oppositional groups within these various countries to uh, disrupt the economy and perpetuate anarchy uh, so that that they can step in and and, and bring about peace
boy expansion of imperialism and uh and if you're not on board with that then you you have to you have to get behind the eight ball. And so, you know, this is this is a, always been US imperialism strategy of Vietnam and throughout history and it continues today. Thank you. You know, Brother Hockey, Brother Mosley raised a real interesting concept and point about how the U.S. used proxy wars to further their interests, particularly in terms of trying to undermine their major objectives of going for China, Russia, and Iran. Can you explain to a listening audience this whole concept of what is a proxy war and give them some examples of proxy wars that may be taking your day so we can connect the dots and really understand the bigger picture? Okay. Well, proxy wars is, is simply a, is, is a strategy, and what you're attempting to do is to undermine uh, or, or to minimize uh, China's opportunity, uh, chances of actually creating a different paradigm for the world. And so, for example, uh, you got a situation where there's, there's terror wars against China. Now, the reality is that these terror wars does very little in terms of impacting China's economy because China has the strongest economic economy in the world. Uh, but what it does do, at least in terms of propaganda purposes, it creates the illusion that China is not a fair player, and so therefore China should be targeted you know, by other nations simply because it doesn't engage fairly in terms of trade. So it's a form of war, which is really all about it's just undermining China's uh, 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 standing world, and so it's, it's, it's one of those strategies. When we talk about the, the large militarization of Africa and we talk about why they're there, why they are there? Because uh, number one, they, they they want to keep an eye on China, but more importantly, they want to keep China in check by making sure that all those infrastructure projects that China is investing in in Africa uh, never come to fruition. If that means literally blowing them up or whatever to ensure that they don't get a foothold in Africa in terms of infrastructure formation, then that's what they do. So it's a form of proxy war. It's really geared toward going. They're doing it in Africa, but it's really to affect China. Uh, uh, also, one of the things that we talk about in terms of, um, you know, um, 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 Taiwan, right? That is a dispute in terms of the mainland China and Taiwan. Uh, the, the, I think the, the history is very clear that the Taiwan is part of the, the, the China, the China, part of China. Uh, but the U.S. is splitting the ways between Taiwan and China in the hopes, you know, that it can foment some ill will. So it's a form of warfare in terms of, again, Painting, you know, China as the aggressor, somehow unjust, uh, warlike, and so therefore to justify some future kind of military intervention against China. So these are all examples in terms of proxy wars. So it's just part of a broad strategy in terms of undermining who you perceive as your enemy. So this is this is the kind of thing they do, uh, and this is what they've been doing to China for a long, long time. But the irony is that, as I said before, is that it doesn't work simply because China has such large investment in the United States. When you resolve these trade wars, these, these tariff wars, you actually end up hurting U.S. consumers. Uh, in fact, one of the things that uh, the Orange Menace did was that he gave the, 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 the uh, farmers a 30, $34 billion credit for the whole notion that he realized that by virtue of these tariff wars, he can lose large markets in terms of the farming industry. And he recognized that, so he gave him a $34 billion credit. Uh, but uh, it, it, but China, it did nothing in terms of impact on China. As a matter of fact, China picks and chooses in terms of how it's going to respond to U.S. provocations. In fact, one of the things recently China did was to purchase large amounts of soybeans. They helped U.S. out a great deal by purchasing those soybeans. 
They didn't have to. They could have withstand, They could have got their soybeans elsewhere, but they they gave they threw a bone to the United States. They purchased the soybeans. You know to help. You know the farmers in America, uh, because the Chinese understand the nature of proxy war, and in doing so, they created a lot of friends in the farming community in the United States who are grateful that China actually brought those soybeans. Otherwise, they'd be in a warehouse sitting there, you know, and there'd be no 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 profit made. So that's the nature of proxy war. Thank you, Brother Haki. Uh, you got to listen to Africa on the Move. Um, we're speaking truth to power. Our theme today is We Have the Power, Part 2, We Rule. What we're going to do, take a quick station break, and when we come back and closing out, we're going to talk about one of the tools that the rich and the wealthy use when to ignore the rule. And this tool is called America's Rich Tax Collection System. Is the tax collection system rigged? Sister Haiti, we want you to take a lead. You're staying with that first when we come back. So we can talk about the American tax system, how it's rigged, and how to use that to rule you. We'll be right back in two minutes. You're okay. listening to Africa on the Move. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state... In three words, you know you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You know how we think Organize the hood under our chain banners Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas FBI spying on us through the radio antennas And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society With no respect for the people's right to privacy I take a slug for the cause like Huey P While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P I wanna be free to live Able to have what I need to live Bring the power back to the street where the people live We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons Dying over money and relying on religion for help We do for self like ants in a colony Organize the welcome to a socialist economy A way of life based off the common need And all my comrades is ready, we just spreading the seed You have a black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that, corporations hiring blacks. Denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map That's why I write the shit I write in my rap It's documented, I meant it Every day of the week, I live in it, breathe in it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in ones, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's C-Lo for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution You have this black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice and the women 
know never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We living in a police state Definitely. And Brother Mo, 
this what's your view on this American tax system? Is it rigged? From your perspective. Yeah. Well there's fixed you know, the corporate structure the corporate the big money makers don't have to they're on the honor system. They report when they want to report and pay for their income. And, uh, you know, whereas uh, we're more regulated, uh, more poor people, the working class people are regulated in there, and their income is, is supported by, by, by the uh, employers. And, uh, and so then we get W-2s. So, so, you know, it's fixed that way. Uh, you know, honestly, it's for the big money and, and, and uh, regulation for the, for the poor. Um, that's the essence of how it's big. Thank you. You know, Brother Anthony Haki, I think Brother Mosey hit uh, one of the center points on the American tax system, which he stated that it only allows to, to, the wage earners, they have to report their income or have somebody report it for them, where self-employed and wealthy don't, they can do their own thing. Is there a need right now for a fundamental change, and what do you think about this tax collection system? I think there needs to be a fundamental change, but but it would only take place with a change in the uh, economic system that uh, that controls the society, uh, you know, as the, as the article concludes, uh, every everybody's income should be reported, not just uh, you know the uh, the working class and uh, and and the poor. So. Um, you know, uh, uh, let's see, the working class is uh, bearing an unfair portion of the tax burden in the society. And also, uh, the amount of money the uh, U.S. Treasury is losing by not having everyone report their incomes could fund uh, some of the programs that uh, the federal government is always uh, uh, talking about cutting back, such as uh, Social Security, um, uh, you know, various financial aid programs, et cetera. And, uh, and it's definitely unfair, and, um, and it allows, you know, the ruling class uh, to get away with whatever they want, which is by design. And uh, it plays into their uh, selfish interests. And Brother Hackey, your final thoughts on this article? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with Anthony. Uh, you know, this, this 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 discrepancy in terms of you know you know tax collection, uh, you know, uh, is is by design. Uh, in fact, uh, those individuals who are self-employed. Those individuals own corporation, corporations who have access to a large stock holdings, uh, they self-report. And, of course, in the process, they uh, don't convey, you know, all their taxes uh, because they realize that they're being protected by a system that fundamentally is corrupt. As long as you can get, a, you know, a, 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 a upper-middle income segment who benefits from a corrupt tax system, then they have an incentive to keep poor people in check. And so this is part of the strategy. This is why they want this to happen. Uh, and also one of the things when we also when we talk about the taxes and we can't you know uh, dismiss this whole question around 
tax cuts. Uh, one of the things that this notion that tax cuts is good for the economy is never been true. Even Milton Friedman, the father of um, 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 of the, the father of uh, conservative economics, even he can see that this is bullshit. But anyway, uh, nonetheless, this is the, the, the conventional wisdom that espoused that tax cuts is in fact good for the society. Now, one of the things, according to the Congressional Budget Office, uh, based upon the Orange Minutes tax cuts, uh, without those tax cuts, the country would have brought in $3.5 trillion in revenue. But as a result of the tax cuts, the, comp- the country only brought in $2.1 trillion of revenue. So clearly, uh, there's a, 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 a huge amount of revenue that was lost as a result of tax cuts, superimposed by the facts. And when you talk about these tax cuts, you then you have these shelters that conveniently exist to ensure that the wealthy corporations don't pay their taxes, which further erodes the, uh, the, the situation as it relates to revenues that are so desperately needed uh, by society. So clearly this tax policy is not corrupt by design, and it's not going anywhere. Uh, it would be behooving the people to understand precisely how the system works and to advocate for, 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 for a fair and just tax system. But, of course, uh, you, know, um, you know, it's much easier to probably believe in, in a unicorn. Okay, panelists, job, we are done. We are running out of time. I'm going to each one of you just give your final thoughts, your summarization on today's theme, which is we have the power, we rule. We'll start with you, Brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, power, power, to, the pe- power to the people is the people's power. And uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we will get together in organizations and and assert our rights. Uh, because, like I said, nothing reactionary falls because on the court there has to be top person that will take organizations. And you know, we we are faced with an immense problem of a losing class that that is growing more and more faster each day. And uh, we we have to get together and stop. Yes, I think um, we have to keep educating ourselves and others as many as we can. However, I think we have to understand what we're looking at as well as each one of us to be able to make, even making a difference in one person's life on the continent and helping that sort of thing to grow as a strategy is really vital and important for us to do as a people, because it, it may be one, but then that one can turn into another and another and another, and we can make that happen. Thank you. Thank you also, Sustain, for your contribution to today's program. Going to Brother Hackey, your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Hackey? You know, all, all I can say is that, you know, um, the situation is perilous, and, and I hate to keep saying that, um, but the thing is that, you know, uh, it's very clear that those people in positions of power are not going to capitulate. They're not going to do what's right. They're going to continue to uh, 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 pursue their selfish interests, which doesn't include the masses of the people in the society. Uh, as far as they're concerned, the masses of the people in this society are superfluous. Uh, the question for them is, what, how do you get rid of all these people you have no need for and we have to seriously start thinking about that because one of the things that they're very clear on 
if that if they have to destroy a large number of people in society, then so be it. That's what they're going to do. So we got to seriously start thinking about what's going on and implications of what's going on. You understand that uh, you know um, if we really love humanity, then we got to get about the business in terms of creating you know organization institutions, you know that prepare us for the inevitable. And uh, as always, I encourage people you know to unravel the matrix. And you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Hockey, also for your contribution to today's program. And Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that the only thing capitalism understands is power. It is not about morality. It's about, uh, you know, human necessity. And out of human necessity, the masses of the working people must be organized in order to gain power because power is the only thing the capitalists understand. And that is the only way we're going to be able to liberate ourselves and save our planet. Thank you also, Brother Anthony, for your contribution to today's program and to our listening audience, friends, supporters, and comrades. We just would like to encourage you to join an organization that is doing something to help alleviate the suffering of your people and humanity. As a oppressed people, as a powerless people, the only way you can overcome the powerlessness is through being organized. Organization is the key. We urge you, please, if you love your people, if you love humanity, if you want to defeat the enemy, then you must get organized. Please organize. Until next week, we'll be back, same time, same station. Share this information with your friends in your network. And let's continue to strive to go forward our backwards level. You have been listening to Africa on the move. And to all my brothers and sisters out there, no matter how hard times may get, remember, at some point in time, we're going to win. And we want you to always keep your heads up. Something to my godson Elijah and little girl named Corinne. To say the black of the best, the sweet of the juice, I think the dark of the flesh and the deep of the roots. I give a holler to my sister's own welfare. If I can, if don't nobody else can. And uh, I know they like to beat you down a lot. When you come around the block, brothers clown a lot. So please don't cry, dry your eyes, never let up.
Yeah. 